Where is? Uh. <sighs> yes. Guard frequency response. Um, what happened to the British guy? Uh, he's on a sabbatical. Please hold. Oh, that's too... Wait, you're putting me on hold? Oh, where the hell is Tony? In the head? Oh, wait, what is this? Gone to change the minds and hearts of... Oh, he's gone all political on us? For real this time? Great! Didn't you understand we have a broadcast center to run here? Where's the copywriter? Oberon! Um, did, did you mean me? Yeah, what are you doing? Well, I was checking our procedure documents with that consultant, Sean. Wrong! You're on Com Channel 2. Shiv's calling in. Uh, um, uh, okay. Uh, guard Frequency Central to Responder 315P. Finally, I was trying to tell Tony that Give I Give me had... those comms. Shiv? Yeah. Tony's wearing a soapbox as shoes now, I guess. Why haven't you taken care of emergency number 2543? Uh, because I'm in a 315P and they need... 300 badgers evacuated from a research facility? Where am I supposed to put them? I'll tell you where to put them. Uh, Jeff, do you have someone on hold? Oh, damn it. Hey, what's your name? Ah, hey, uh, this is Kin Shadow. I'm a, uh, uh, bounty hunter extraordinaire. Yes, yes, very impressed. What ship are you flying? Um, a, uh, 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 compass. (coughs) Uh, I'm getting a little flutter in my engine. Yeah, call someone who cares. You are someone who cares. That's the whole point. Uh, you missed the disclaimer. Disclaimer? Any expressions of emotion by guard frequency responders up to and including concern, sympathy, empathy, camaraderie, friendship, lust, hate, or homicidal rage should not be considered genuine and are expressed only to further the effectiveness of a rescue. How do you feel about badgers? Uh, personally or professionally? Great. Welcome to the team. Your t-shirt and official guard frequency badge are in the mail. Make sure you speak to Sean and HR about the pay schedule. Wait, I'm supposed to be getting paid? Quiet, Osborne. Ken Shadow, I need you to fly those coordinates and pick up 300 badgers. The whole problem here is none of them have a gas mask. You should be able to find them easily. Oh, that's low, man. You could say that's low gante. Shiv! Get off this channel! Is it low enough that you had to descend underground? Shiv! All right, all right. 1093, Channel 2. Ophelia, pull Mikey up on Channel 4. Ostron, it's Ost... Uh, never mind here. Mikey, I need you to head out to Jacques Station. Do you have any idea how far away that is? Do you have any idea how much I care, or do you want me to explain again how long I've been doing this? Oh, no, 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 that's fine, that's fine. I'm on my way. Uh, Jeff, what would you like me to tell Shiv... Nothing that we can broadcast on an open channel. Right, I'll I'll handle it. Uh, Shiv, this is central again. Just keep one ear on the guard. My portside thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizen Civs, Captains, and Commander, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 131 of the Best Damn Space M podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, August 5th, and made available for download Tuesday, August 9th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Ostron. And joining us this week is the newest member of the guard frequency crew, Kinshadow. And I'm Kinshadow. What do we have this week, Kinshadow? 
Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we check out the military's latest combat-ready fighter. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from our favorite space sims as we cover how things are arguing in Star Citizen, the interceptor cockpits and what's coming for Infinity Battlescape, and a fun little fact about No Man's Sky leaks. No spoilers, we promise. Next, we debate the hype train, and finally, we turn into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. A quick note for those of you who may have been away from the show for a few weeks and are noticing a distinct lack of dulcet British tones and legal precision. As we hinted at in the prelude, Tony and Lennon have both reluctantly reduced their involvement in regular broadcasting with guard frequency. Lennon's situation has forced him to take an extended, continuous break. Tony is running for state office in Kansas, and his campaign duties mean he can't commit to regular recording times. I, Ostron, am serving as Lennon's replacement, and during the times that Tony's unavailable, Mr. Kinshadow will be our go-to replacement. In general, though, you're probably going to hear a greater variety of voices hosting going forward as people adjust their schedules. Jeff, of course, isn't going anywhere. Damn straight. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Crypter, crypter, crypter. This is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Well, they've done it. It happened, and we have to accept it because there's nothing we're going to do to change reality. That's right, folks. The F-35A is now combat ready. The 34th Fighter Squadron, based out of Hills Air Force Base in Utah, is operational with 12 F-35As they currently have on station. Air Force Chief of Staff General David Goldfine and the Air Force Secretary Deborah Lee James both labeled it an important milestone. An F-35 Program Executive Officer, Lieutenant General Christopher Bogdan, said the F-35 can do its mission. Those don't exactly sound like ringing endorsements now, do they? Well, there's a reason for that. Some critics are saying that declaring the plane operational is more of a marketing move than any sort of realistic declaration of the F-35 status. First, back in June, Lockheed disclosed that the latest version of the plane's automatic logistics information system won't be ready until October. Not a terribly long wait there, but the plane will have to wait until 2017 for its 3F software which will allow its scope to display data intuitively and launch weapons such as a small diameter bomb. When pressed by reporters, Air Combat Command Head General Herbert Hawk Carlisle, who was the final sign-off of the Combat Readiness Declaration, admitted that the plane does not yet have all the capabilities of an A-10 Warthog. Carlisle was quick to stress that he would feel comfortable deploying the current F-35A squadron anywhere it was needed, but given his druthers, the planes wouldn't see action in the Middle East, arguably the most active combat theater for U.S. forces, until at least 2017. Looking forward, 24 more fighters are set to be deployed at Hills Air Force Base, and then Burlington Air National Guard Base in Vermont will get another 16 F-35s to replace their F-16s. All of this will be the work of a few years. So, yeah, Tony sent me this article, and his position on it is basically that the Air Force really cut back on the operational requirements in order to get this declared flight ready. Well, and we've talked about this before on the show, the F-35. It mostly, uh, I think the last bit of news was the Navy's versions of the F-35. 
with its melting the carrier deck and with its thrusters for the VTOL. And basically, it's just a boondoggle. I mean, here we have a contractor that is, uh, you know, they're, they're $98 million a plane. You know, that's quite a chunk of change. And yet we have this wonderful, I, I, Tony calls it his favorite little fighter. We've got this uh, Cessna company that can build a, a anywhere-in-the-world-mission-ready fighter with just a few uh, on-hand parts that are already in, you know, already made for a few thousand or a few hundred thousand, I guess. So it, it really is one of those things that uh, makes you go, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I recall you guys talking about those, although it's not something I personally follow. Well, I served in the Air Force, so I, I kind of know the, the mentality there. I mean, I've flown in B-52 bombers that were already 20 years old by the time, or maybe 30 years old by the time I was flying them, and they're still in service today, and that was 30-something years ago. So, I mean, they know how to extend uh, capabilities of airframes. The F-16 is a, is a good fighter. The A-10 Warthog is still one of my favorite planes of all time. And they're constantly upgrading that. So I don't know why the, the hype over this, when they can go back to the drawing board, take the proper time, take the lessons they've learned from this whole thing, and build something you know that's better and cheaper. It's a giant money pit, right? I mean, there's a certain amount of uh, sunk cost fallacy going on here, and there's a lot of people that will probably lose their jobs if they decide to scrap the whole thing, I'm guessing. Well, I, yeah, probably the assembly people, but most of the engineers and stuff, I mean, there's coming up with new... De- I saw a funky design today, because I, I subscribe to, uh, like, a military aircraft or military weapons uh, YouTube channel, and I saw... Some funky designs today, the swept wing with double-decker wings, and, and oh, it's kind of interesting, though. Well, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean by engineers, or necessarily even the companies involved. It's, it's more likely the people that spent the money to begin with from the government side. Yeah, they, they have to be voted out of office. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know how it works on the military side. I don't know if uh, you, may, you spend uh, a couple of uh, hundreds of billions of dollars and maybe you lose a star if it goes bad. I, I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> Read, seen, or heard something that you might think is interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for August 5th, 2016, $117,962,220, up about $248,000, $1.442 million registered accounts, up about $30,000, and 1.032 million ships in the UEE fleet, up about $2,400. Well, you know, you're reading off the numbers for the crowdfunding and stuff. And yet on Reddit, I've heard numbers of 1,200 people received refunds. And I mean, are those still active accounts? Are they fudging the numbers so we're not really getting all the numbers? Or are we getting so many people that those sheer numbers don't even matter? They're just a drop in a bucket. Well, I don't imagine that they'd reduce the crowdfunding totals because that's probably just a counter of funds received. It's not supposed to be monitoring like the current financial state. 
it's possible that the registered accounts and the ships in the fleet are working the same way and the added accounts are just outstripping the removed accounts by a lot. But it's also possible that, yeah, they're just sort of not including the removed accounts. I honestly don't think it matters. I think that the number of people that are potentially wanting a refund is, is so small at this point, it's not a, not a big deal. Now, there's always a chance that people get riled up and a whole bunch of people decide to get together and ask for refunds. And uh, I mean, we have seen certain groups that have been pushed that way, but I, I have seen no evidence that this is any significant portion of the, the crowdfunding numbers. And I, uh, I look at all sources of news for information, so it's not like I'm sticking my head in the sand. Well, and I would agree with you there. I mean, if we're talking a millions of subscriber and only a small point decimal of a fraction of people are getting refunds, I mean, it's really in, insignificant at this time. It's not like a whole bunch of people. It's very specific people, usually from early on, that spent thousands and thousands of dollars that are having doubts. But I think most of the people that have spent thousands of dollars, even early on, are kind of sold on the concept and they're, they're all in on the project. I think it's a really small number of people, even on the, the high end of, of spending, that really feel like they want to get their money back at this point. Yeah, I feel like there'd be a larger proportion of people who possibly would slow down the amount of money they're still giving to the project, but wouldn't go so far as to say, I want all the money back that I've already given. Around the Verse is still the primary, or very close to only, source for recent development news from Siglaley. As of this recording, Star Citizen 2.5 is in testing with the Evo Kati, and PTU distribution is targeted for this weekend. The list of goodies they're putting into the patch is expanding every week, or at least, we're being told about in the new ones. The fast track to the Argo seems to be continuing. Star Citizen had already mentioned the Argo to be flight ready for 2.5, now calling it a capital ship support craft. The Argo will apparently be able to do cargo and personnel transport, repairs of ships, and search and rescue. The different missions and profiles will be determined by pods that will get attached to the ship except for repairs. That feature is realized as a repair arm that unfortunately isn't ready for the ship model yet. Sounds like an ideal ship for the guard frequencies response team. The default pod has room for limited cargo space or one passenger. The transport specific pod has seating for up to eight passengers. And the search and rescue pod has some limited medical facilities. In the final version, these pods will detach and swap out. But unfortunately, that feature isn't ready either. So the different versions are all separate ships to begin with. Also in 2.5 is a new landing system aimed at making the whole process slightly more intuitive. Apparently, now if you deploy landing gear on your ship, it automatically goes into precision flight mode and the UI starts hunting for landing zones. If you're near a random stretch of terrain, the UI will highlight areas that are good for landing. On the other hand, with stations you hail them for landing permission, and then your assigned landing pad will be highlighted. Once over a highlighted area, you have the option to do a manual or auto land. For the FPS junkies, a conditional cover system is being worked into the game. Right now, if you're near the edge of a wall, your weapon raises up to prevent clipping. The new system will build on that and give you a sort of visual cue when you're positioned in a way where you can use cover. At that point, the lean key will allow you to lean part of your body out to fire your weapon, or just blind fire around or over the obstacle. 
Unfortunately, that particular feature won't be implemented until 2.6, and it won't be available for 0G or while prone. What wasn't revealed until Reverse the Verse is that the reason the new cover system is coming with 2.6 is that the long-awaited, once-thought-abandoned project Star Marine is apparently going to be included with 2.6. It was close to done a year ago, but it got pushed back. So for all of you that were bemoaning the absence, it has a firmish release target now. So that last bit actually came as a surprise because I thought Star Marine was like completely written off and done. You mean done as it ready to be included in the game or done as it wasn't going to be included at all? I thought they were just going to skip it because of how much FPS had been included in the PTU at the moment. I mean, at the end of the day, Star Marine is just a bunch of maps. There's no reason for the right. It's, it's just another. It's just a ground pounding arena. So yeah. So just a, just some arena matching code and a, which they already have from Arena Commander, and then some extra maps for first person shooter, which they already have from the PU updates. So it's probably just a no brainer for them to put those two together once they get around to doing it. Yeah. I found it sort of ironic that we were talking about the F-35 being rushed to production in Squawk Box, because it sounds like there's a similar process going on with the Argo right now. I think the reason that you're seeing this ship is that it's just finished production for Squadron 42, because we saw that ship a year ago landing on an Idris and you getting out of it for the Squadron 42 cinematic intro. So now they're just monetizing an asset that they're doing anyway for the storyline. Yeah, I just figured, like, if the model was ready a year ago, I'm curious as to why they... I mean, it probably just they weren't focusing on it, but pushing it out without the interchangeable modules or the repair arm seems a little premature, but I don't know all the backstory there. Well, I, the Cutlass is supposed to have a tractor beam and a bunch of stuff like that, and you don't see any of those add-ons yet. Did you guys see the Destruction Idris video thing from ATV? I read about it, but I didn't actually watch They've it. They've given like hints and stuff about it before, but it was really impressive in my opinion. And, and, and actually, if they're able to actually create that immersive environment in the game while you're, you know, you're on one of these ships, I'll be extremely impressed. It was a, it's a very nice piece of pre-done footage anyway. Well, not much other news except for Infinity Battlescape. All systems go once again over at iNove Studios, and as you might expect, a lot of the action revolves around the Forever patch that was released to the developer's access backers last week. Despite the complexity and the size of the patch, things have really been quite smooth, leaving the team free to squash bugs that have come up as a result of the patch before moving on to their August to-do list, mainly low-level networking tech. As well as bringing us the patchy goodness, iNove have also released a couple of extra screenshots showing the work-in-progress interceptor cockpit, which is great as the art department are just about finished getting their material libraries sorted for spacecraft and buildings, meaning the interceptor should be getting its spit and polish soon. Speaking of polish, the rest of the team is, according to CEO and co-founder Keith, looking forward to getting back to iterating on the core gameplay that will form the foundation of everything that comes next. Looks like Inove aren't showing any signs of slowing down. That's an impressive looking cockpit. Star Citizen cockpits look a little bit better, but for the number of people that are on this game, it looks pretty nice. Yeah, it's got a bit of a blocky feel, but it's not untextured. It looks utilitarian. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to take a minute here and... Hey, Jeff, dim the lights. Ostron, play the music. Uh. 
Now, let me change my suit. What the? He, he's... No! Not the birthday suit! Hey, well, I prefer to call it my sexual harassment suit. Now, where was I? Oh, yeah. Those sits and sits with their ears to the ground may have heard recently about no man's guy suffering from a touch of indecent exposure. Yeah, they're, they're definitely not alone there. Some people who've been very naughty managed to get hold of the game ahead of its published release and flooded the internet with shit pics and videos of <clears throat> intimate details of the game's opening. These voyeuristic videos were then uploaded to YouTube, and Hello Games swiftly took action. Well, when the internet's largest video site kicks you off, where do you go for hosting? Yes, those naughty boys and girls have uploaded the leaked material to Pornhub. Now, before you go off looking for this card frequency, would like to issue an official PSA that you should not, under any circumstances, go to Pornhub and search for videos containing the words leet and mans in the same sentence. Now that that unpleasant image is firmly in your heads, yes, this is in fact the news that after Hello Games issued a takedown of the leaked footage on YouTube, the leakers decided to upload everything to Pornhub. The videos cover the first 20 minutes of gameplay, including some spoilers, obviously. And if you want to find it, then you'll have to look around yourself, as links to this one obviously won't be in the show notes. If nothing else, it's a great excuse. This, this game just can't win on the news front. <laughs> no matter what kind of hype it is, it always seems bad hype. I don't know. I mean, there was, there was a whole bunch of... Uh, the hype about it lasting not as long and the derogatory comments and things like that i think were, were worse for them a couple of the videos on any video site i don't know this just screams of sony video lawyering rather than anything else to me um, although they they apparently are carrying on a proud tradition because i guess uploading leaked gameplay footage to pornhub is becoming sort of a thing apparently it happened with uh, fallout 4 but before its official release I did see that they were also uh, issuing takedown notices on YouTube for some of the news sites that were mentioning the leaked footage, even if they didn't contain it. I guess they were trying to be uh, overly proactive about finding potential sources of leaked content. Uh, that can backfire on them if they get too aggressive about it. And now it's time for news we didn't use. Gal Corp are holding the first ever Elite Dangerous Olympics to raise money for charity. Sign up to advance and go for the gold whilst raising money for special effect. Links in the show notes. Indie space sim shooter Sector 13 have released a new dev blog and some screenshots. Check out the links again in our show notes. Everspace extended its beta buy-in period to August 7th, so before the show aired. Again, back and listen to the live recordings, people. The Shroud of Avatar is running a cross-promotion with Star Citizen. Two packages are available for purchase. Each provides you with the items in the Shroud of Avatar game, as well as a ship-based package of goodies for Star Citizen. 
No Man's Sky developer Sean Murray has confirmed that No Man's Sky releases on PC three days after the release for the PS4 console. On the Descent Underground front, the metal system is being revamped and all the current stats are being wiped. The good news is that the new metal system will integrate with Steam and GOG so that achievements earned in the game will show up on those systems. As almost everyone in the video game reporting interest has noted, No Man's Sky is releasing next week. Now there is no doubt the anticipation of this game is high. The much publicized delay of the game from June to now caused the studio to receive death threats, and the demand for leaked copies of the game inflated the price of pirated copies well into four figures. However, the lackluster reaction some had to those leaked copies has caused some people to cancel pre-orders or change their minds about purchasing the game on release. So that makes one wonder. Is generating massive hype and excitement for the game a good marketing strategy that guarantees extra sales? Or does it represent too much risk since it's very rare for games to match the expectations that fans can put on them? Well, gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us encouraging the so-called hype train. Ken Shadow has been known to hire an actual herald to announce his accomplishment before he enters a room, whereas Osteron doesn't reveal any information about himself until officially invited to do so or you read it in his obituary. So, Ken Shadow, why is the hype train a winning strategy for game sales? Well, the hallmark of a failed game is not one that sells in low numbers particularly. It's one that you've never heard of. And that's what you'll happen, that's what'll happen if you don't hype your game enough. You need to get the advertisement out there, and the sooner that you do it, and the bigger that you do it, the more people will have heard of your game by the time it comes out. Pushing the hype for your game saves you both time and money in terms of advertising, and it saves you from the impending doom that is obscure. So, the hype train is great for getting initial interest to the game. The problem is the game itself. When people get interested, they inevitably dig through all of the information available. And then, unless they literally get a look at the design documents and the code, they tend to read into those details and then make up stuff that's apparently going to be in the game in their minds, but will never actually make it there which means they set themselves up from, for disappointment. I think that's not an argument against hype per se. I think that's a an, ad, an argument against bad PR. I think that any particular hype train needs to be pushed up, but it needs to be pushed up with realistic expectations about the, the game. If you're gonna push people's imagination, you should push, push them in a way that makes it in line with what you're actually doing. So the problem with that theory is that the hype train sort of you push it downhill and you have a certain amount of control over where it's going but you can't fight inertia like people are going to attribute unrealistic expectations and um impossible achievements to the game that and you can't really do anything about it except refute it after the fact which will again increase the disappointment Well, you both obviously had something very poignant, I think, to say there. Unfortunately, I don't care. 
So, (laughs) (laughs) really, like, you didn't have any reaction or any opinion when people were, um, like, back when Star Citizen had much fewer features released or had anything released, you weren't either excited or disappointed by the various tidbits of information that were coming out? Well, you see, I'm a gold ticket holder, so I, I was in the Star Citizen game quite early and very excited about it. Not because of the features that was coming out, because it was Chris Roberts and it was the creator of Wing Commander. And that is really one of my most favorite games from way back when, when computers were just becoming personal. I think Star Citizen's a bad example for all of this, though, because we don't actually have the game. <laughs> I mean, Star Citizen... Well, we have, no, no, but we have more of the game than we have uh, than almost anything else except for maybe Elite Dangerous. But remember... Well, don't remember, but I classify Elite Dangerous in a state of the same growth or development that Star Citizen is. Only they call theirs release and Star Citizen calls theirs alpha in 2.4, you know? The difference here is the level of promise and hype around the game itself, though. I mean, the things that Star Citizen will eventually do that we've already been promised are you know, sky is the limit. And I mean, that's what we've been told from, from day one. And there has been a lot of this, this hype train, this ball got rolled down the hill and it was a big ball to start with. And it's been a very large hill and it's, it's kept going. Uh, the difference there is that uh, Star Citizen makes money off the hype train while it goes too. So it's not a, I don't think it's an ideal thing to prove the case either way. Now, Star Citizen, when it's, its final incarnation meets all of those goals, it'll be almost a, um, a golden child for why the hype train works. They not only got a hype train that chugga-chuggled up that hill and, and blew everybody's doors off before the game even came out, but they made a whole lot of money doing it, and if it comes out and it's, it's great, well, then that's great. But I don't think it's a proof either way right now whether the hype train really works. Yeah, now the counter-argument to that is No Man's Sky, because people were attributing that game like as a genre redefiner, and it was supposed to be unlimited exploration and infinite distances and, you know, a variety of well, different things to I, do. I and... don't think that was people describing it that way. I think I heard the developers describing it that way, and I think that's the main difference. We don't, we don't have No Man's Sky yet either, so we're just kind of basing this off one guy who's uploading videos. Well, depends on the experience of marketing companies, I guess. If you look at an EA game or, a, a, you know, like Splinter Cell or a Ubisoft game, they have practiced proven methods to market these games. And when you get some developer that also becomes a game company, I think you get mistakes made when talking about your game. I mean, you're excited for the game. You know what you want to build. And you talk about these things as this is actually going to happen. And I think it gets lost in the translation when you start trying to drive people to come see and look at your stuff. So they have to be very, very careful with doing that. And right from the get-go, I mean, No Man's Sky did not start thrilling me at all. I mean, I want to be in space with other people. I mean, what's this, never see another human being? Come on. It sounds like both of you are saying that it's basically on the developer to control where the hype train goes. And if it if it goes off the rails and the game suffers as a result, that's sort of more on them than on the audience. 
Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And there's a happy medium there, too. Well, now that you know our thoughts on that, we want to hear yours. So this week's community question, does the hype train assure greater sales and success or is just increasing the risk of disappointed fans? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over our show's thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! Some say his puns are so bad he once entered a ten into a competition and none of them won. In fact, no pun intended. But all we know is called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Community question. Are in-game chat systems a helpful and convenient addition to games? Or do you believe they're a waste of development resources when third-party programs already do it for them? First off, pretty much everyone on the internet told us that Grimhex was not the same as Levski from Nyx. Certain research badgers have been sacked as a result. Thanks for reporting Tony's wrongness, which you can still do even when he isn't a host for a specific episode. Any errors are still his fault. Tim Simmons wrote in and said, Great show as always. I think that the in-game comm is the way it should be. The game can control how far you can communicate, even add delay for very long distances, and that adds to the immersion of the game. Unfortunately, it's already been shown that some players will use outside comm programs to get around the distance problem. This would give them an advantage that you have to use just to compete. Keep up the good work. Jiru says, A mix of in-game VoIP and standalone VoIP is good. What I would like to see is an in-game VoIP that is useful and well thought out for the game, and a built-in client for the popular VoIP services. Yeah, that's a good point. Something that we didn't cover. Sean Newboy, as always, loves the show. We love you too, Sean. Third-party voice chats all the way. Amontillado wrote in and said, If a player's experience is greatly enhanced by the presence of a chat system, then the game should provide said system. I want a game that offers a complete feature set, something that requires me to research, acquire, and install an external solution in order to get the full experience is flawed. External communication platforms do have their advantages and offer many features and conveniences for online communities. They have their place in the online ecosystem. They cannot, however, be relied upon to provide the features and level of service or security that a game publisher should be delivering for their user base. They're also neither uniform nor ubiquitous. TeamSpeak for Clan A, Discord for Guild B, Mumble for Org C, Skype for... and so on. A game that desires to have a strong online community should provide communication tools that reach all of its player base. Keep it simple, stupid. Another topic related to the above is voice chat versus text chat. There are real downsides to both. There's large disadvantages to text chat because if you've got your hands on your keyboard, you know, with WSD or, you know, flying a ship or whatever, you're not going to take them off to type in a text. My God, scrolling up to find a message, you know, in general chat or something is an exercise in frustration. I mean, text yeah. chats are necessary for a more permanent uh, message. You know, here, here's where you find this. And if you didn't, if you missed it, then scroll up. Voice chats have it way hands down better than, than any text chat system. Yeah, I think it's necessary for immersion too, especially for in-game voice chat. I think that uh, you really just uh, can't get around the fact that uh, 
you know, you're in a space game, you expect to be able to talk to other ships too. True. You know, the one thing that we didn't cop uh, was uh, providing third-party tools in the game to work with the third-party chat systems. Now that would be that would be cool. You know, because I I know that Teamspeak has an API and they work with uh, they they're the back end of many games chat systems, so they could make something that's you know kind of like uh, in in the whole vein of the. Star Citizen Universe, for example, you know, radio noise and and uh, I've got a I've got a voice morphing here that adds, you know, thing like I'm talking over a, a old time World War II radio, uh, or in that you know, complete with the clicks and the beeps and all that other stuff. Um, so yeah, they could they could really do something with it. Are there any games that are doing that currently? I can't think of one off the top of my head. Not the immersion, but there are games that have that use things like TeamSpeak as their voice chat system. Yeah, I, I'd like to see both. I'd like to be able to see in-game voice chat for when you're chatting with somebody that's directly in front of you, or you're trying to get a local area conversation going, and then built-in chat features for third parties for doing, you know, exactly what you use TeamSpeak for to, you know, chat with your buddies, even though you might not be in the same system of things. Both things have a place, and both things should have their right hooks. I believe at this point, this is where Tony says, I love the game we're building. In general feedback, Celadon and Sean Ridley say, Argo is going to get a mechanical arm for repairing ships. Even better is the third package, Sargo, with rescue and minor medical facilities. At Guard Freak, your ship has arrived. Ken from Chicago wrote in and said, First, Lennon's gone. Now, Tony's leaving. This is what it feels like to be an immortal like Jeff. (laughs) And this week's community question, does the hype train assure greater sales and success, or is it just increasing the risk of disappointed fans? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Was it as good as the hype made it out to be, or are you kind of feeling a little deflated when confronted with reality? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or you can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak or leave a comment and like us on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do. So take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 131 of Guard Frequency. I, at least, will be back with episode 132 on August 16th. And we think that Kin Shadow and Jace will be here too, but, you know, who can tell? To be sure to keep an eye out on our show over our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights and we have a competent person setting up the sound equipment, you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com live. We will not be doing a live show next week, but we will have the Research Badgers find a way to bring it back for the August 16th broadcast. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 4 a.m. GMT. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email at squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. 
For just a buck twenty-five, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some guard frequency goodies. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One, who are in Vegas this weekend for the Star Trek celebration. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist, Ben Saunders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pintad, and of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we really want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Well, this week's on this. Oh, <clears throat> already screwed things up here. That's okay. A bad <laughs> prelude means a great show the rest of the way. The interceptor cockpits and the interceptor cockpits. 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 Somebody's gonna edit that like word cock a lot. The interceptor. The interceptor cockpits and what's coming for Battlescape and. Red scene or heard something that you might think be. Bleh. <laughs> I, I say this all the time too. Red seen, uh, red seen or heard something that you might think that. <laughs> why, why don't what I actually it? correct the text? Come on, so you're cursing me there. And this week's community question: Does the hype train assure greater shales? Greater shales. Yes, we need larger rocks. For the FPS junkies, a conventional. Uh, yeah. Some people who've been very naughty have managed to get a hold of game footage. Some people who've been very naughty managed to get hold of game... Can't speak the word the for some reason. Well, the hallmark of a failed game isn't one that sells low. Whenever you're ready to start. Okay. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start. Okay. Change shadow. Oh, I'm pressing the wrong button, and that's why you couldn't hear me. Ah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yes. All right. Damn straight.